Our scripture today comes from Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows and hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Please join me in our prayer for our pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words and pray that we hear them and make them part of our souls. Please bless Pastor Mike today and may his words be yours and your message flow through him. No matter where we are, may they become part of our hearts and they will help us to draw closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, church. My name is Brody, pastor at the Shueyville United Methodist Church, and it has been my joy to work alongside your pastor in developing this sermon series, Songs of the Heart. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is a celebration where we remember that parade that welcomed Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem. And today we remember in our lives that Jesus alone is the one worthy of our adoration and our praise. So happy Palm Sunday. I pray that the Holy Spirit is with you in a tangible way as you worship. So I already heard that you're in good voice. So come along with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him Christ the Lord. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. The meaning of that little chorus is so simple and clear. We are to adore Jesus. And I know some of you are saying, hold on, what the, what's happened to our pastor in the midst of COVID? It's not Christmas, right? But, but understand that that's not maybe what you expected on a Palm Sunday morning. Maybe that's not exactly what you put in your formula as you tuned in to join us as the church online or as you came through those back doors. But they perfectly, ex exactly express what this day is all about. So, so come with me again. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ alone. So, of course, we begin with a simple question. Do you adore Jesus? Do you, personally, with your life, adore Jesus? How? How do you adore Jesus in the day-by-day -day life you live? You might say, yes, I adore Jesus. 
And I ask you, what is it in your life that shows others around you that you adore Jesus? What in your life is it that fuels your day by day that says, I adore Jesus? Just stop and think about that for a moment. See, Palm Sunday is a day of adoration in which we are to celebrate how we adore the Lord. His disciples, those 12 disciples, adore Jesus so much that they break out into an unrehearsed, unpermitted, unlicensed, exuberant parade from the top of the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley up through the Golden Gates into Jerusalem in the Holy City. It's this parade that just happens. Now, we don't go to parades that just happen for the most part. I love parades. I'm not going to sing you that I love a parade song, but you know it, right? We love parades because they're these exuberant, demonstrative ways to celebrate something that means a lot to us. When I moved to Marion in 2003, we moved from a North Iowa parade culture. Now, what I mean by that in the parade culture is every little town has a parade. It's Radcliffe Days and Williams Fourth of July and all that sort of thing. Every little town has their parade. And of course, the, you know, they clean up everything. I think this parade I'm showing you is the Williams Fourth of July parade from years ago. Now, if you've never been to a small town, it means, first of all, it's way better for children than trick-or-treat because you just stand there with a bag and play shortstop with all the candy they're throwing after you. But in these little towns, everything that can move is a, per, is a float, Right? I mean, if you can clean up your John Deere with your power washer, you'll run it through. You can get your Massey Ferguson going, whatever. If you've got an AMC Gremlin, you can put it in the parade, right? Everything is about a parade, and, and we love it. And when you, when you look at that photo, you, you see that this little town celebrates their community, and they celebrate America. We love a parade from, from north and south. Not, not, I mean, really, this is north. Now let's look at south. Years ago, we went to the Fiesta Parade, which is held every year in San Antonio, Texas. And, and, and the Fiesta Parade is a celebration of the Tejano culture. There's churros and tacos and everywhere and all these rose crowns. And, and I want to tell you, it's a parade that goes on for five days, literally five days. And it would be hard for you to go to a parade like that and not be happy. All the colors, all the majesty of it. But it's not just north and south. Look, look at the east coast. Look, look at this next slide. Every Thanksgiving morning, what do you see? Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That, that really celebrates the fact that we're launching into an exciting holiday season and that it's Thanksgiving Day and the last guy through on the parade is who? Santa, waving that Christmas is on its way. And of course, that's the East Coast. What about the West Coast? Every first year, we have the Rose Parade, one of the biggest parades in, in, in all of America. Millions of people, you know, pre-COVID go to this parade. And all these floats are made out of roses. And they celebrate that there's this new year, this new opportunity about it. North to south, east to west. We love a parade. And the purpose of these parades is to enthusiastically and winsomely celebrate a day or a season or community and the work and the expense and the participation level are always really high and I have to admit all those that you've seen they're worth it they're worth it to the people that are participating in it they're worth it to the spectators and they're worth worth it to even those of us that watch on television or through our computer screens you could likely say and rightfully say that the behavior of the participants and the spectators alike in these parades make the case, whether it's the Rose Parade or the Macy's Parade or Williams Fourth of July or, or Fiesta Parade in San Antonio, this 
we adore. We adore this. We just absolutely adore it. See, the Palm Sunday Parade, the one we celebrated, uh, which was fun to see our little children in there, some of their teachers come through, but the Palm Sunday Parade that we celebrate that happened a couple thousand years ago, though it has far less orchestration and far less organization than any of these praise, is a pure expression of adoration. Of pure adoration. Let's take a minute of what they did. Take a look at what they did. Now, uh, just a minute of Bible teaching here. We connect the scriptures. You know, sometimes when you start a story, you say, what happened before this? John 11 is the story of Jesus Laz raising Lazarus from the dead, okay? It, it, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in, in John chapter 11. So in John chapter 12, you see him having a dinner at um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, and, and then this morning breaks out, and the disciples just exuberantly say, we're going to Jerusalem. And along the way, they grab palms. Now, the reason I brought this palm is so often we think of palms that you have to skinny up a tree like in Florida or California and, and, and grab them up there. But for the most part, if you let palms grow, they're fairly low to the ground. And so the disciples, it wasn't like they planned out stuff. They didn't go buy a truckload of fireworks like you have at Williams, Iowa. They didn't go and buy millions of roses like you find in Pasadena. What they did was they took off the palm branches on their way by, and they started waving them. And then they put Jesus on a donkey. And likely they were taking their coats off and throwing it in front of him, waving the palm branches, and as he went by, they'd run in front of him and put the, palm, put the, the, the coats down, their cloaks down again. And it honestly, unlike the Williams Parade or the Rose Parade, which is several miles long, the Palm Sunday Parade comes from the Mount of Olives, sounds big, down through the Kidron Valley, Garden of Gethsemane, up through the, the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem, or often known as the Golden Gate, and that's less than a thousand yards. So it's not a really long parade, and there's really not that many people involved in it. Now, when they get into the holy city of Jerusalem, surely the Pharisees and the scribes are, are being there and being judge, judgmental and all that sort of thing. But even though the parade was small and the route was short, there is mountains of enthusiasm here. There's mountains of adoration here. Now, here's, that's what they did, but now let's look at what they said. What they said was, they were singing the hymns of Israel. In this case, Psalm 18. They were singing the songs from their heart. They started by singing Hosanna. You've all known that if you've been a minute in church. Hosanna. Well, what does Hosanna mean? Well, you know, Hosanna is really just an expression of, like, we would say, yes, or amen, or that's right, or let's go. It's just like exuberance coming out. That's what Hosanna is. It's, it's a word for sure, but it just means yes let's go i agree with this and then they went on to sing blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord pointing at the one on the donkey they're singing he's the one we've been looking for you know since our ancestors left the, for the 400 years that god has been quiet between the book of what we call malachi and between jesus life this is the one that that's the one he's the one and only and they went on to sing blessed is the king of israel David's successor in their mind has finally arrived. The king of all kings, David, their, their favorite king, he has now been supplanted by the man on the back of the donkey. This is what they said. And let's look at what was really happening now. 
as we look at the scripture from where we sit and how God is looking at this, he understands in their exuberance that they are doing and saying and singing the right things. They are. But God was acting in ways that they simply did not expect. He was working in ways that did not fit their expectations. They were playing a part in this giant cosmic drama that they really didn't understand. Israel and Jesus is not receiving a warrior king. He is not coming to lead the armies of Israel against Rome. He is not, they are not receiving a political savior who's going to come and take over the government. They're doing and saying and singing the right things. But if you look at John 12, 16, a verse that Brock read up here a few moments ago, listen to this. At first, his disciples did not understand this, which meant while they were doing, they really didn't understand what they were doing because it goes on. Only after Jesus was glorified, which means raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done by him. God was acting in ways that did not fit their expectations. And God does that a lot. He does that a lot to you. He does that a lot to me. See, the disciples would have known the songs, as well as some of you knew, uh, like the Lion and the Lamb that we sang this morning, you know, frontwards and backwards, backwards and frontwards. The disciples knew these hymns that are the hymnody of Israel, the Psalms. They knew them forward and backward. They had earworms of them. They, they sang them in their sleep. They sang them when they woke up. But as they sang them on this Palm Sunday parade, they matched their meaning to their expectations, not God's. They put what they wanted to happen out there into the words, not what God had in mind. That's true for us. You know, we'll often hear a song and interpret it within our own context, within our own ex expectations, and not those of the composers. Some of you that don't know me know that I'm not from the present. I'm a little bit from the past, in music anyway. So I want to put a picture up of Bruce Springsteen, who woke the, wrote the word, words to the song Born in the USA and you know, pronounced that. You've probably sang this or had it inflicted upon you at a ball game or a parade or something like that and you know the chorus born in the usa and all that sort of thing and when you listen to that it is most likely and it's been used this way many times it's most likely that you're hearing this as a patriotic anthem now springsteen wrote this in the 80s and while it's probably okay with him because of record sales and all that sort of thing that we use that as a patriotic anthem his intention was, remember 1980s, was to write a song about the horrible mistreatment of Vietnam veterans in the United States. So his words went to our expectations, but not necessarily to his, ours. A little bit later, Phil Collins wrote a song called Air in the Air Tonight. Now, any of you that have heard this know the urban legend, if you're of that generation, you've heard the urban legend that this is a song about a guy who carelessly and callously watches another human being die drowned and doesn't help them at all but when phil collins was interviewed about what this song was about he said well it was really an interpretive look at my own divorce so so you see that the intention of the composer 
is not always in sync with our expectations. We hear what we want them to mean. And the disciples matched their meanings to their expectations in the song they sang along the parade route. Now look at this in Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builder says rejected has become the cornerstone. If you imagine, if you will, a builder looking over stones that they're going to put on a, on a building or an archway or something, and that he has a stone, and for some reason, maybe it's an imperfection or maybe it's a shape he doesn't like, he literally sets it aside. That's what that scripture means. The builder has rejected this cornerstone, which is, of course, to be Jesus Christ. What they heard was, what the, what the disciples heard was, that our movement has been cast aside by the religious leaders of our time but the religious leaders have cast aside what is the hope of Israel Jesus of Nazareth and God meant the man you see before him the man on the donkey the man who's, who you wave palms around is the creator and center of all reality and he alone is worthy of your adoration and praise they went on to sing in Psalm 118 25 save, Lord save us Lord grant us success and what they heard and what they were singing about was we have been crushed by our political opponents and now he comes to crush our oppressors and what God is saying in that is that the man you see before you this Jesus came to save you from the destructive forces of sin and to defeat death for all who would believe in him and they went on to sing and you can look at this in the scriptures themselves. In Psalm 118, 28 and following, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And what they heard in those words is to us, God, you have fidelity to us and us alone. You have fidelity to, to we, your chosen people. We love you and we alone give you praise that's honorable. We alone are able to adore you. But what God meant is, I am. I am the Lord God of all who is, who are, who will be, and who are yet to come. I am the God of all who will claim me as Lord. And this is what God meant. And so I return. Do you adore Jesus for who he is or for who you want him to be? It's an important distinction. Years ago, um, I was counseling a couple, and they were having some distress. And they were in my office, and we were going through some steps uh, of trying to help them heal some, some brokenness within their marriage relationship. And, and it was a little bit teary and a little bit warm-tempered. And, and he said, Honey, you absolutely know I adore you. I absolutely adore you. And she says, No. You adore the idea of me, but you don't adore who I really am. The watershed, right? Who do you adore? And when we look at, at this question, do you adore Jesus for who he is or who you want him to be? That's the point of Palm Sunday. Adore Jesus for who he is, not our idea of him. That's what we must be about. You know, on that day long ago, as they descended the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up through the Garden of Gethsemane and up through the Golden Gate and the Holy City of, Jesus, of Jerusalem, Jesus on the back of the Beast of Burden, they shouted and sang their expectations and their desires. On the page, 
on the page of Psalm 118 of their scriptures, on the page of the hymnody that they had, Jesus gave them the king they longed for, the king they wanted, but it was not what they expected. You know the story. Because God acts in ways that do not fit our or their expectations. Of, them, of him, of Jesus himself, when they saw what he was doing in Jerusalem, they had to push back and say, not, not him. And in just a few days before these palm leaves that they'd ripped off the trees, the living trees, before they had even turned brown, their, their, their chance changed from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him. Crucify him. Because he was not their idea of a king. He did not fit their expectations of what a king should be. So do you adore Jesus for who he is or who you want him to be? The Jews did not receive Jesus as their king because he wasn't who they wanted him to be. He just wasn't. Now we have assets that they did not. You know, we have the, the, we have the history of Christianity. We have the understanding that, that Jesus fulfilled through his life over 300 prophecies that were said about him in the Old Testament. We have four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of his suffering, death, and resurrection. We have various accounts of his ministry after he rose from the grave and two stories of his literal ascension into heaven. We have the knowledge, listen to this, we have the knowledge that his earthly siblings, you know, the people he grew up with in the same house, came to believe in him as their Lord and Savior. Think about your brothers and sisters. That, that is an incredible reach for someone that lives in the same house to you say, yeah, not only is he my brother, he's the Lord, but they did. And we have thousands of martyred Christians from then until now whose blood li literally paves the way to the cross and the empty tomb for us. We have 2,000 years of bro unbroken Christian testimony that tell us he is the king of heaven and earth. There is no other. He is the one and only that is worthy of our praise and adoration. So do you adore Jesus for who he is or who you want him to be? That is the question. That is the question. I've tried to write down in times past who Jesus was. I've tried to write down a good explanation of who he was as king of the world, king of the universe. But 60 years ago, one of my favorite preachers, a guy named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, gave an explanation of Jesus, and I've not ever been able to write one that even compares to it. So I want you to take a look and listen. That's what it says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's 
impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his firm is lighter. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Amen, huh? Amen. So, so the appropriate response to all that, the appropriate response to the person of Jesus of Nazareth is that's our king. He is the only king that is truly worthy of our adoration. He alone can bring us the peace that passes understanding of any human mind. He alone is the one that can heal our brokenness of our minds, the dissonance, the fragmentation that's in them. He alone is able to heal the broken heart, the lonely heart. He alone is able to heal even the physical bodies because he rules over nature and all that is in. He alone is able to rescue us from what we deserve, which is the death that comes to us from our sins. He is an all-sufficient Savior. The disciples thought they knew they thought they knew what he was on that Sunday long ago and far ago, far away, but they could not. And we can. And we can. Therefore, we only need to answer one question. Do you adore Jesus for who he is? Lord Jesus, we adore you. Open our minds, let our expectations of who you should be drop and ours, yours raise. Help us adore you for who you are. Jesus, let us fully praise you when we say,
Oh, come, let us adore you. Amen.